0: This is Real Good by U.S. Bank, a podcast about helpers.
1: We run the nation's only online mini-MBA for young women. When you're at this young age, your confidence drops on average by 30%. You don't know where you want to go. You maybe go to college and you then enter the workforce and you still don't necessarily have the skills that you need to be successful in the job. And so we said, you know what, like, let's change this dynamic by like really starting with the next generation. And so we basically give them the the skills, the tools and the confidence to be tomorrow's leaders, but under the guise of creating their own venture. I'm Faith Saley.
0: Welcome back to another season of Real Good. Our first episode dropped into your podcast feeds in the summer of 2020. You remember that summer. Not everyone's favorite. The world has changed immeasurably since then, but our mission has remained the same. Every season, every episode, we've strived to show you that while our world is an imperfect place, there are people out there trying to make it better. There are people who don't accept the status quo, who refuse to participate in dog-eat-dog. Dog. People devoted to other people. We've spoken to the executives leading the charge in the boardroom, like Habitat for Humanity's first global de chair. And we've heard from the folks with their boots on the ground, like an unconscious bias testing administrator. Their stories have been both local and global, inspiring and occasionally gut-wrenching. More than anything, they've shown us that everyone can do real good. Our first guest this season is the founder of Girls With Impact. Jen Openshaw. Her organization provides girls as young as 14 years old with the tools and experience required to found a new business from the ground up through what she calls a mini-MBA. Now, we'd love to say that Jen is training the next generation of confident, business-savvy girls, but Girls with Impact is giving an opportunity to their students that no generation before them has ever had. Entrenched systems of cultural inequity and misogyny offer discourage young women from trusting in their own potential. But GWI highlights the innovation, leadership, and confidence that young girls have always had within them. When these girls finish their mini-MBA program, they leave with a new identity, CEO. But before we invite Jen on, we want to bring in a voice you all know. My friend, Greg Cunningham is joining me to talk a bit about what we can expect in the season to come. Greg, I always get so happy when I know I'm gonna talk with you. Oh,
2: same here, same I here. I took
0: out my Invisalign for season four. Let's get this thing going.
2: <laughs> well, your smile is like, it, it says it all, it's working.
0: Awesome. Thanks. Oh, man, I haven't even whitened the teeth yet. Just you wait. Um, So, you know, I have to tell you that, I mean, I have several jobs and gigs, but and don't tell the others, but going on this journey with you is so, it's so gratifying, like nothing else I've gotten to do. And, you know, in these very... Well meaning, anti racist communities in which I live and where I drop my kids off at school, there are often, uh, you know, the, there's talk about leaning into uncomfortable conversations, right? I'm putting that in air quotes. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but what I think is remarkable about our conversations over the first three seasons is that thanks to you and, and the generosity of our guests, they've never felt uncomfortable. Right. Like, like they've felt meaningful. I've, they've been, for me, they've been eye opening and sometimes shocking or heartbreaking, right? But, yes. and sometimes really joyful, but, but not uncomfortable because of the way that you've invited me to learn.
2: Did you just call me your favorite?
0: <laughs> yes, but don't tell the others. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think you just did. No, I. <laughs> Um, yeah, I agree. I, you know, I'm, the reason I'm so excited about um, season four is because it it builds so naturally on what you just said, Faith. Like it it actually takes us to a place where we're actually becoming more comfortable having these difficult conversations that you know, really benefit all of us.
0: And then we're kind of like, well, this was not news to you, but COVID just was shining a light on systemic inequities, right? Systemic racism and problems. So season two, we were kind of like, uh, you know, can anyone say intersectional? (laughs)
1: Let's
0: let's like look into these problems that have been here for a while, like maybe since 1619 or so. Yes. and And we were, you know, so we were talking about Im- implicit bias and how housing is health and And then season three, we were really we kind of leaned into the bank's access commitment response, yep and and hearing these incredible personal stories about about how it all works.
2: yes. and and now we're talking about solutions, right? And we're bringing people on in season four who are providing clear evidence of the work that we're doing that are providing solutions. So we're not just um, you know, diagnosing the problem anymore, we're actually you know, prescribing real solutions.
0: And I might add that most of these leaders we're talking to are women, which is, which yes. is also kind of exciting.
2: We're centering women's voices, um, which right now is so incredibly important and they have such incredibly important things to say and
0: you know when i think about all the conversations we've had now over over a few years there are these themes that keep recurring right from the beginning you really helped me understand what the word access means and how and how many different forms access can take right and 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 what investment means that it's not just like Everyone thinks money and capital,, yes. but the investment of of time and faith and giving people permission to fail and try again. and and another theme um that we've heard over and over, especially from black leaders, is this kind of planting of seeds, like a a, a, re- a real feeling of responsibility for community, right?
2: Yeah, it's the thing that's on the mind most in in the black community, especially, but I would say communities of color in general. That you can't afford to fail. Like you have this extra burden of not only being, if you're a corporate executive, you're not only a corporate executive, but you also represent the hopes and dreams of the community. That you weren't, you didn't make it alone. The community is actually looking at you and saying, "We made it," and therefore, if you fail or you're not successful. That you a let the community down, and number two, there probably won't be another person like you who gets that opportunity because there are so few, and so you carry this extra burden that is uh, unbelievable. And I think that's true of women too. You know that you you recognize that you represent more than just yourself, and so you feel an added sense of responsibility to be successful.
0: And it's interesting because many of the women we'll be talking to this season are women leaders of organizations that are focused on helping girls. Yes. So that. Yes. So we've got Tariqa Barrett, the CEO of Girls Who Code. And today we'll be talking with Jen Openshaw, Girls With Impact, and then Kathy Ingelbert, who's the commissioner of the WNBA. So it, it, it is that idea of, I've made it and I want to make it, I want to make a world possible where people like me don't have to be afraid to fail, that they get to fail and fail and fail again on the way to flying.
2: Yeah, and how we help, you know, girls in particular, you know, that the things we say to ourselves about ourselves, um, you know, matter and it has an impact and we have to start to help seed, um, you know, different messages with girls earlier on. So the messages they say to themselves um, about themselves, that they actually see themselves as leaders very early on, um, you know, that I learned a lot from uh, being around Kathy Engelbert and, and the WNBA You know, one of the stats that they um, they have as part of their promotional materials, I think, is so powerful. And it's, you know, 80 percent of all female leaders played a sport. And what? Yeah, it's such a I can't wait to talk to. Oh,
0: my gosh.
2: But but it but it but it makes sense. Right. Because through sports, you you adopt those um, those situations of leadership and. Competition, collaboration, collaboration yeah, yeah. and competition, competition and adversity and
0: and dare I say it. aggressiveness,
2: aggressiveness and all of that. So, yeah. <laughs> so it, it's just interesting when you think about those correlations and how, you know, uh, it starts early. And so the more we can sort of um, begin to see those kinds of things earlier, I think it will help these girls and um, help our society in general.
0: You know, we're gonna be talking to Jen Openshaw about um about her program Girls with Impact, and, and they she'll tell us more about it, but they they offer these girls and young women a mini MBA program. Yeah. And I wanted to get your take on something, which is that as you probably know, the, the statistics for women enrolling as undergraduates in college now are like sixty percent. I think it's sixty percent female yes. and forty percent male undergrads. Yeah. And then I was looking at MBA stats. And the data shows that it drops to 39% women pursuing an MBA. Yes. What do you make of that?
2: Yeah, I think it's, you know, again, not a surprise because you think about, you know, women who enter the workforce and you think about women who decide to to start a family and who traditionally has to put their career on hold. It's usually the woman. It's not usually the man. Um, if you decide to start a family and have kids and you know to be able to afford to go back um, and get a graduate degree or make those kinds of choices to advance your career um, it's more difficult I think um, for women and our society hasn't in the workplaces haven't traditionally been as supportive of you know giving women those opportunities and sort of understanding all the dynamics that come with and the responsibilities that women take on outside of that outside of the workplace I mean you're you know you're the boss at work and then you're also the CEO and COO at of the household and the, you know you're the caregiver you're the you're you're all of it and and then yeah. you're going to go back and get an MBA right like and so i think that's the change that we see um and we need to continue to see more improvement in the workplaces workplaces that are more supportive of you know women not just as employees but as the whole person and what do they really need to be successful and how we as employers can support Um, women in all aspects of her being her whole self and um, because she'll show up um, in a way that is more beneficial to the organization when we can resource um, um, her success differently. Um, So it's not a surprise to me, Faith, because women are juggling all these other responsibilities um, outside of career that actually impact the decisions that she makes.
0: And I think what we'll hear this season is how important and you mentioned this before is is just the culture around girls and the messages they get because so many of the leaders we'll be talking to are working with girls.
2: Yeah. Which is which is which is incredible. I just I get goosebumps. I was telling you before, you know, we have at U.S. Bank, we have this sponsorship program where all of our managing committee members um, sponsors a high potential woman or a person of color. Um, and it just makes me even more passionate about being a vocal advocate um, for women and doing everything I can in the workplace to ensure that they have the, you know, the equal access to opportunity. Because this this notion of a meritocracy in corporate America is something like, I actually used to believe that it was true. Like that was actually, but you, but you actually can't have, but you can't have a meritocracy without, you know, by definition, it's like, you have to have equality of opportunity to be a meritocracy. And that's not what women experience in the workplace, or people of color for that matter. So, you know, the stories mm-hmm. that I hear from these women, Faith, really has me both excited about the conversation we'll have during season four, but also the work that we all need to do to, to better support women in their in their career journeys.
0: I love that phrase, high potential. I wish I had known that when I was dating. I could have just told people, like, look, I just want to tell you right now I'm a high potential woman. Let's, <laughs> it's it's such a feckin' phrase. I love it.
2: I've been identified as a high potential woman.
0: Yeah, I just want you to know I've been identified as an HPW. <laughs> um, I, I, Greg, we have dug into the origin story of so many of our guests. And there's something I wanted to ask you, which is that when you were 20-something, Greg, getting your MBA at Fordham in my neighborhood, yes, yes, was there such sense. a thing as DEI? Was that even a thing? Could, like, did 20-something Greg think he'd get an MBA and make a lot of money? Or did you ever think you'd end up doing this stuff?
2: I definitely never thought I'd be doing this. There were certainly diversity initiatives in corporate America. I, you know, when I, I I never really had a great deal of appreciation for those efforts in corporate America. I always thought it was lip service and I never really saw the true benefit that it was bringing to organizations because I never really saw it. I never really saw it play out, at least in the organizations that I was part of. In fact, I was asked very early in my career, you know, if it was something that I would do. And I said, absolutely not.
0: Oh, wow. And, and
2: then even further, when U.S. Bank asked me the first time to do it, I actually said no then, too, um, because it wasn't something that I did. I, I didn't have a background. I wasn't a practitioner in DEI. I didn't have any HR experience, which is how I, you know, typically thought about it. And then, you know, I had a conversation um, you know i believe it was with my wife and and we were talking about it and i said yeah and, you know they asked me if i would do it and she said look you know all the things you've led up to you know, that have led you to this point in your career you've always sort of been a person who's advocated for community who's advocated for you know multicultural capability in organizations and you've touched it in in every role that you've had you could actually bring all that experience and do the job differently um, cuz somebody's going to get that job and <laughs> And you don't want to be the guy on the sidelines, you know, criticizing, you know, somebody, you know, who's doing the job. You could actually do the job and just do it the way yeah. you believe it should be done. And that really resonated with me. And so we've approached it um, in a much more holistic way, as much more of a business imperative. And, you know, for us, um, Faith, my um my 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 big talking point right now with my team and our my company right now is we have to frame reframe DEI from this notion of it's the right thing to do which we all know it is but it's actually the smart thing to do it's actually smart for business
0: good business it makes money
2: it's you know we 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 can actually do do good while we're doing well and we should
0: yeah
2: um and uh you know it's an important part of this conversation you know and, and, it's inclusive growth, you know. If you think about including everybody in the equation, um, your success is exponential.
0: I love that it was your wife who who nudged you into the game. I really do.
2: Me too. It's that Bronx upbringing. She's so grounded.
0: um greg cunningham you're you're like the senior vice president of of u.s bank and you're the chief i can't even keep up with all chief diversity all kind of stuff in there equity all the things officer but i want you to know this is i have identified this as a high potential season and i'm very (laughs) excited about it it's
2: hypo we can shorten it to hypo that's the real cool way to say it faith hypo it's a hypo season
0: this is Hypo Season 4, um, and I can't wait.
2: Let's do it. Me too. I'm so excited to do it with you. Thank you.
0: Jen and Greg, thank you for being here. I'm so excited to have this conversation. No, oh, it's great to be here, Faith.
2: Hi, Faith. Excited to be with you, as always.
0: Jen Openshaw, you're... Your CV and bio is a bit dizzying. Like, I've, I've read it several times, and it's a clown car. There's, I'm not quite sure what you haven't done. Um, but the, the lead in your wiki entry, which is some, something to be trusted, and in your LinkedIn entry, which is always to be trusted, is innovator, author, and financial leader. Do you think that sort of sums it up? Yeah. I mean, I love to solve big
1: problems, you know, and technology is at the heart of that. And, you know, I started my career early on in the financial industry space, spent a lot of time there, saw a lot, started a venture in Silicon Valley, focused on finances. And, um, you know, funny thing, though, Faith, when I was uh, really young, I wanted to be a broadcaster. I wanted to be the next uh, Barbara Walters and um, and probably for some other reasons, like wanting some attention because I was
0: raised by a single mother. (laughs) That was probably it. But, you know, I found Greg myself. Greg knows I can't relate to that at all, Jennifer. Um, but, but go ahead. Attention? <laughs> what? Who needs it? Right. Who,
1: who doesn't want to be validated and feel, you know, worthy, right? But uh, I found myself. I got this, you know, fortunate gig uh, early on in my career as the money expert for KCBS TV in Los Angeles. And even just the story was just, it was just such a great ride to do that. And, yeah, so, I you know, innovation, finance, helping
0: people achieve their potential. You got it. Every interview I have seen or read with you likes to start with this noteworthy fact for your origin story that you started working as a hotel maid at age 14. Do you think that that kind of beginning in the workforce is part of your secret sauce? Like when when you're in a boardroom with sort of masters of the financial universe, do you think that maybe what you know about humility and hard work of service is is something that has given you an edge in your journey? Well, I think it's
1: sort of there's something inside me that causes me to overwork like
0: a maniac.
1: And I think it's something from when I was younger, like a lot of people face where, you know, they're trying to achieve something. I had a sense early on that I wanted to do bigger things in my life. I had, somehow had that sense earlier on. And um, and I also had this sense that um, I was going to have to do it by myself. I felt like no one was going to be there pulling me up by the bootstrap. I had to do it by myself. And I think, you know, candidly, to some extent, that was probably a little true. I think that that thinking, though, was not good thinking. I learned that later on in my career, you know, having been in Silicon Valley and other experiences that, you know, you're much better off if you can surround yourself with a really strong team, whether you're working in a company or you're starting a company, Right. I think I sort of, you know, I would start these new ventures to some extent, partially on my own and, you know, uh, create a lot of challenges. But I think the grit, you know, is kind of what you're speaking to. Yeah, I think that's at the heart of kind of who I am.
0: It's interesting, though, because I've heard you talk about watching your mom when you were a kid, watching her change from her day server uniform into her nighttime server uniform. Right. She has two full time jobs and you're seeing her with grit and yet you feel like, do you feel like somehow you were called to make a greater impact than your mom, who was clearly working so hard on her own to raise three kids?
1: I, I do, Faith. You know, it, I had a funny experience when I was about 12 years old, uh, riding my navy blue Schwinn bike home from school down the middle of the street. And 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 I just sort of had this epiphany, and, and I alluded it to it earlier, but three things sort of came clear to me. One was that I wanted to achieve something greater that I sort of envision myself um, leading people on a larger scale. And then the last was that, you know, it was sort of going to be up to me to kind of make it happen. But that that power of thinking where you want to go and having that picture in your mind, I think is just instrumental, right? We talk a lot about that in our own programming with the, the young people that we train today.
0: Yeah, I feel like the word purpose kind of sums that up. I feel like that's that kind of Magical word that when it's inserted into somebody's life goals is clarifying? Yeah. um,
1: You know, I I mean, look at it. There's a part of me that likes the idea of building a for profit venture that makes money. It's really interesting. A lot of people give that almost more credibility than a nonprofit. But, you know, at this stage for me, it's really about paying it forward. Um, I've been, you know, fortunate enough now. Um, to be in a stage, in a situation where I'm, I'm able to do something that's really impacting other people. I mean, I have almost every day, Faith, pinch myself to find and look at where I was, you know, at age five, six, seven, eight, raising my brothers literally at the age of seven years old s- by myself. My mom was working those two full-time jobs as a waitress to today where I'm at and, you know, feel incredibly lucky. But there's also a sense of me that feels that things work out when they're supposed to work out. That in in our lives, it's, I mean, I think you have to put yourself out there for sure. But at some point, you also have to say, you know, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. Um,
0: so you have this epiphany when you're 12 on a navy blue Schwinn bike. How did you get started in finance? How did that realization direct you toward finance? You know, I had to put myself through college. And I I don't mention this very often, but I
1: went to uh, three undergraduate colleges, not by choice, but all because of money. And and the first year, I had a a fair amount of money from scholarships, but it was all one time. And so at the end of that first year, I was like out of money. And, um, you know, by the way, I had been working all along, probably two jobs while I was in that first year of college. And I knocked on every door to try to get scholarships and stay at that university and wasn't able to. And, Uh, moved in with my uh, aunt and uncle and paid them a hundred bucks a month and um, was doing internships in LA while I was in school south of LA. But I, during those times, I would be pulling out a spreadsheet and doing my own budget. Like I get off (laughs) on seeing like, (laughs) what money do I have? Where do I want it to go? Like, I just find that really empowering. I mean, that's like, you know, I had a friend one time who said um, he's actually a very top executive today like he wanted a few money right um, to, to understand your 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 um, money it's like it's the heart of everything right I mean people who say they they, they can't have this they don't you know I, I've just seen so much in working with people with their money so anyway so that's how I got started i I was putting myself through school and I would you know, I would sit down while I'm eating my dinner out someplace as sort of a reward for my hard work, and I would work on my spreadsheet. And then I, uh, when I was in the California State Treasurer's Office, I saw a lot around money issues. I got hired at the age of about 24 as the press secretary for uh, Kathleen Brown, who's the sister of uh, Governor Jerry Brown, Jerry daughter Br- of Governor Pat Brown. What a ride. And she went into the Treasurer's Office, and I was around big money issues, right? Like bond deals and uh, college savings bonds and cash management and credit rating, like all of this from a business perspective. And I found it super interesting. I really liked it. And I decided there that rather than promote somebody else's ideas for the rest of my life, I wanted to promote my own. And so I decided to go to business school.
0: And that was, that. that's a lot of how that started. I mean, is that when you would, you would say that the idea of entrepreneurship started shaping your future? Do you, do you remember when you got a sense of what that word meant? Because Greg and I have talked to so many entrepreneurs who really have this aha moment when they hear that word for the first time. Like, oh, there's a name for that, and it's fancy in French? Well, that's a really interesting question because we have this debate
1: all the time in our organization. Do we describe it, what we do to young women as entrepreneurship or business? Because when they're young, they have no Hmm. idea really what entrepreneurship is. Although I think people are starting to get a sense. I had a very interesting time where I was working full time at a major bank. Uh, I had come out of the treasurer's office, decided to get that uh, business degree. I'm sitting in a classroom at UCLA and one of my classmates was trading some of his college loan money right there online on the internet, and I was like, "Holy moly!" And then <laughs> I got this gig as the money expert for KCBS TV in LA. This is really when the aha came up, and that is, I was talking to folks about their money. You know, everything from how to manage debt to your credit, to investing, and. Uh, a funny thing happened. And that is that after I would go on the set live, women in the station would start asking me questions about their money. And I kind of put that together, coupled with what I saw my buddy in class doing. I started doing some research and I discovered that women were um, not going to the online news sites, financial news sites like a Yahoo Finance in those days or MarketWatch. and They weren't necessarily investing their money, even though they were increasingly earning more money. And that's even more so today. And that's where I became sort of an entrepreneur and had this aha, why don't we marry the two and create something called Women's Financial Network? So. Greg, do you remember learning that word?
2: I don't. But you know what? You know, what's funny about that faith is, you know, when when I was coming up, we called it hustle. Mm. And. You know, it was it was attached in a negative way where I came from to, you know, people who weren't who weren't always uh, coloring inside the lines. Let me just say it that way. And, you know, I think of uh, hustle when I think of people with that entrepreneurial spirit, like hustle is the combination of um, ambition and grit that Jennifer talked about. And
0: creativity.
2: and, And creativity, you know. And
1: problem solver.
2: Yeah, all of that.
0: All yeah. of that, I th- I think, y- yeah, and I think now hustle, hustle and chutzpah—they're kind of interchangeable. I think it's I think it's being I think our sense of that word is is being changed. It's interesting to me, Greg. It's so many of the guys, and they've all been men, whom we've talked to, who are now entrepreneurs, or helping um, support entrepreneurs. Started out. St- selling stuff when they were young boys, right? Like they were doing haircuts or they were selling um t-shirts in their backyard or selling candy. I think John O'Brien was selling candy at age six and And then there's Jen who's making beds. and it's so I mean, this is a small sample set, but that's so gendered. It's very interesting to me. I think it I think it speaks to a sort of older notion of what like boys and girls. Uh, were raised to think they could do? Well, it's interesting. You know, I was
1: um, selling, you know, uh, napkin ring holders that I made during the holidays. And um, when I was at, actually, when I was in college at the University of uh, UCLA, uh, was actually a mini entrepreneur, um, you know, at the age of whatever that was, 18 or so, creating these ventures so that I could raise money for other students who are going off on internships. But you know, it's, it's such an interesting word because I think today it's really like entrepreneurship to me is also about its hustle and its innovation. And like, how do we solve problems? And companies are so hungry for that today.
0: And this is the vision you are supplying girls, or I should say, girls and young women, ages fourteen to twenty-four. This vision um, with girls with impact. So, can you often uh, help those young women uh, figure out their elevator pitch? So, can you give us yours for <laughs> girls with impact? Uh, we run the nation's only online
1: mini MBA for young women, and you know, we we're just talking internally about when you're at this young age your confidence drops on average by 30%. You don't know oh. where you want to go. You maybe go to college and you then enter the workforce and you still don't necessarily have the skills that you need to be successful in the job. And at, and then we see a lot of women dropping out of the talent pipeline. And so we said, you know what, like, let's change this dynamic by like really starting with the next generation. And so we basically give them the, the skills, the tools and the confidence to be tomorrow's leaders, but under the guise of creating their own venture, right? And it's really powerful. We have 93% um, see an increase in their confidence. And that is huge when you think about her likelihood now of really moving into the C-suite or starting her own business, it really can change the numbers.
0: Can you help us understand what exactly, a mi- oh, sorry, Greg, did you wanna add something?
2: Well, I, I was just gonna uh, say, uh, say that I think Faith, part of what I think Jennifer is touching upon there that we've talked a lot about in previous seasons is this notion of uh, feeling empowered, right? This notion of empowerment and how empowering entrepreneurship can be. You know, when other doors are closed for you, sometimes you just make a way, right? And that that piece around empowerment, I think is so important, Jennifer, that you just brought out.
0: Jennifer, can you kind of explain what, uh, how a mini MBA works? Yeah. So we, we operate a
1: little like a mini business school for real. Um, in fact, I worked with uh, folks from Harvard business schools, a career center in the development of this. And so every quarter we're recruiting young women and every quarter we're graduating them. And, and, and what they do is they go through a 10 week, uh, program where they come together live online with an MBA instructor. So somebody who's got an MBA and who's been in the real business world. And in live one-hour classes weekly, let's say you sign up Faith for Tuesdays at 6 p.m., same classes, same instructor, and you're going to go from ideation, what's an idea that you're going to focus on over the next 10 weeks, to all the fundamentals. Who's my target customer? And you're going to create a customer persona. How am I unique to my competitors? And you're going to do a SWOT analysis. So the power of it is that um, because it's your idea, you know, these young people who are maybe disengaged um, as well, because it's their idea, this this notion of um, learning, it takes on a whole different meaning, right? So they're learning some very serious concepts and we try to just make it as interesting as we can. They come out of it with a, Uh, a certificate. They've got a business venture and a business plan and a pitch deck. They now have material for a resume. And the killer part is that when they're in a job interview or applying for college, we get people who go, oh, tell us about your Girls with Impact Venture. the end of that, they're hired and they get their college tuition covered. It's huge.
0: You know, I was I, I fell down the rabbit hole on your website and um and was watching s- some of the ways that the that the classes work. First of all, I don't think I can convince you I'm 24, but I I wish I could sign up. I learned just by listening to those girls in these little edited snippets share their plans and and their visions and when I looked at, so there's this wonderful, I encourage everybody to go to the website. There's this wonderful video where it features three of your graduates, um, Jody Bell, Kelly Taylor, and please help me pronounce, is it Sanicte? Sanicte Ariala And the, they, you focus on their faces and underneath it says CEO. For each of these girls, it says CEO in the name of their company. Just seeing that, Acronym applied. Just seeing that right under their name—talk about empowerment, Greg. What is? It, it must be such a game changer for them to see that title, say that title, and and own it.
1: It is such a game changer, Greg, Greg. I mean, you know, the funny thing is, Jody, three weeks, three weeks into the class, and she was in our pilot class like eight years ago. She said, "I don't know how to explain it, but I feel kind of powerful." Jody today. Ended up getting full ride into college. And it was her venture that set her apart. And she's now interning at a major financial institution in the ESG space. It's unbelievable. The interesting thing is I think that these kinds of skills are really um, could benefit employees in the workplace, particularly younger employees. Because right now, everybody's worried about losing their employees. It's so tough out there. And the number one reason that young people... Uh, or the number one reason thing that they're looking for is professional development skills. And so I think there's such a huge opportunity in the workplace to bring something like this, these skills that we do to the you know the, the younger entry level or the people who are non-professional, they'll love it.
2: You know, faith, you know this point is so important because it's really critical, you know, what you say to yourself about yourself. And for a woman to see, CEO next to her name. And not only the the sense of empowerment, but, you know, McKinsey's actually done some really interesting work on this in in their Women in the um, Workplace study. And they talk about, you know, one of the, uh, aside from the the systemic barriers that large corporations um, have historically had that have prevented women from moving into the executive level and into the C-suite. But it's also helping to empower women to see themselves, to see themselves as executives, to not see themselves as managers anymore, but to actually feel and see themselves. And so what I love about, you know, the work that Girls With Impact is doing and under Jennifer, your leadership is, it's helping to change the narrative of what women are saying to themselves about themselves. Um, as well, it's called
0: it's called girls with impact for a reason, right? It's not it's not women with impact. We're talking these are some girls are freshmen and sophomores in high school, so so that's right, Greg. It's it's starting early with like if you can, see, yeah,
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. I got the hustle. Yeah, I got the
0: hustle. <laughs> and so you know, yeah. so
1: the, the thing that's I mean. I love what you said, Greg, about changing the narrative. I mean, I think that's really the potential and what we're talking about, which is why we built this to scale. Like we could put 200,000 through tomorrow. Um, But when you see these women who, you know, in these classes, look at their, their, some of them, they've told us, some of them used to sit in the back of the room. They've had stutters. They come into the class. Mm. They now are called on and they're not alone. And so by the time they go through it, they're able to you know, vocalize improving their skills. I mean, it's just, it's really such a, a game changer.
2: So we have so, a, um, Faith, we have a, a, a program at the bank. It's a, it's a sponsorship program. And every one of our managing committee members, every one of us on the managing committee is sponsoring two high potential executives in our company. And both of my mentees, if you will, are both women. And I can't tell you how many times when we first started on this journey and started having conversations, we would, we would initially start out with things like they wanted to work on things like executive presence and my executive communication, and I want to feel more confident when I, and it just was such a, again, like we're all on a, on a journey, right, to better understand all of this. And it was just such a, both surprising and, and somewhat sad, if I could use that word, for me mm. to hear like, cause to me, I was like, just, like, just bring you, like, just bring you, like your superpower. Like you have, so you're like incredibly talented and smart, but to hear and them. And
0: they came at you as if be, being you is not enough.
2: Yeah. That's incredible. And that's the work, you know, Jennifer, that you're doing. It's like, you actually have everything in your toolbox that you need.
0: And you're, and, and you're telling them this when, when they're so young. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. so amazing. So, yeah. so I. Uh, can you share with us, Jen, like, just, I, I know it's hard to choose one's favorite child, but like a story that you're particularly proud of, that is particularly moving?
1: You know, I think there, there's one young woman who got a double full ride offer. She was raised raised by a single father ever since she was seven. She wanted to be an entrepreneur, believe it or not. And she came into our program Uh, developed a venture idea called Crown Kits for Black Hair Styling Kits. She actually did not launch her idea, but when she applied to college, both Babson and Howard, she put it down as her number one extracurricular. And she said that when she was um, in her scholarship interview with Babson, all they wanted to hear was her venture. You know, and um, and it really does change the dynamic. I mean, you know, a a father who said... You know, my daughter wanted to go into, you know, physical therapy or something, something else, but now she wants to be a CEO. And we see these women uh, now go through the program and 50% of them say that they're more likely to go into business or entrepreneurship. So Greg just goes back to your, your comment about changing the narrative. And it's about
0: identity. I love that so much. And I love that that was what she chose to focus on because you know, black hair is such a part of a, of a young black woman's identity. It's so powerful. That's a great point. And you know, like these young women will say,
1: like one time I was talking to this young woman, we gathered some together and I said, "So, why are you excited to be here?" She said, "Because it's my idea." And mm. somebody reminded me that, you know, you go through school and people don't ask you, "What do you want? Who are you? What makes you tick?" it's really the other way around. I think that's going to change actually. I think the world is really advancing on the workforce front. But, you know, I want to give a big shout out to US Bank for making this possible because they um you know, even during the pandemic um made some of these stories happen and
0: we're just beginning. So, this all sounds so hopeful. It's so inspiring and the reality of the world is that you, we are pushing back. Against systemic challenges, right? There is inequity in the workforce for women. Uh, I hardly need to tell you too that the ama- the percentage that venture capital firms invest in women led businesses it's something like two percent, right? It is, and, and, and it hasn't grown. And it's grown. dropped. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so explain this to me. You're you're growing these empowered, inspiring young women. What's going on in, quote-unquote, the real world? I think what it's, are we pushing back?
1: I think it's old-fashioned networks. And it's a little bit of human nature, which is to work with people you know. I mean, you see it in corporate America at the top echelons,
0: and you see it in Silicon Valley. Um, I mean, there's another word for that, and, and it's called bias, right? Part of that? It's the it's the working with people you know? It's, it's what comfortable, it it's feels comfortable com- and I think resembles it's what you're comfortable you. with. You know, I, I there are some places that...
1: You know, I think when young men, I, I think that's changing to some extent with this next generation. Because if you look at venture capital firms, a lot of them are still run by, you know, prior generation, um, not used to seeing women starting companies. But you are starting to see more women starting companies. But you know, a raise real capital, lots of great examples. Um, uh, you know, neighborhood. Um, what's the the DNA product that you know the. Uh, uh, Wajiki, and Wajiki has founded 23andMe. Uh, mm-hmm. But these are still women with connections and they're well-educated. So the real challenge and, and frankly, the real work uh, that we face is those particularly underserved young women who have potential could be really left behind, and it takes a lot of hand-holding. So, you know, when we work with them, it's not... Uh, you know, it's online and you're on your own. We're really trying to bring them along and make sure they complete the program so they can move forward like that young woman, Rachel, I mentioned.
0: Greg, what are you seeing from, from the U.S. bank side? A very similar, very similar
2: faith um, to what Jennifer described. And I, I, you know, what I would say is I, I would agree. I think it is changing, but certainly not at a pace that any of us would want to see. And I think a lot of it is being driven by, like our stakeholders are just demanding different outcomes. They're just demanding change, whether it be the regulatory environment, whether it be, you know, customers, and um, you know. I, I think the good news is it is changing. The, the the bad news to me is, is the why behind which why it's changing. I think if we can help, you know, some of these VC firms and all these, there is you know this notion of um, of, of inclusion or ESG, however you want to describe it. It's not about preserving value.
0: I'm sorry. Can you tell me what ESG means?
2: Sorry, environment, social, governance. So, got it. um, You know, all of that work for far too long, or let's just say diversity, equity, and inclusion, any whatever acronym you know labels you want to put on it. It's not about preserving value anymore. It's about creating value, and any organization that doesn't understand the value in contributing in a positive way to society, whether that be the expansion of opportunities for women, you know, all of these things like there are new and I think organizations are now starting to open their eyes to the possibilities. Um, Jennifer talked earlier about innovation and creativity. You know, you think about the innovation and creativity that women bring to an organization or as entrepreneurs, that's how we're actually going to (laughs) grow. Like inclusion is actually a catalyst for, for business growth. It's not a way to preserve value or, you know, and I think what what uh, a lot of these women that Jennifer is is de- are, is developing in in GWI is developing in the future leaders. They need three things. They need the, the the connections that we talked about. Like, how do we make sure that they're part of the networks? Because so often these networks have been exclusionary. They certainly um, need information. We need to make sure that we are using the right channels to get the information out to them. And then, yeah, they need the resources. They need to be supported by an ecosystem that also allows them to fail every now and then. Because how many times do we see men fail in organizations or we just give them the benefit of the doubt that they're competent and like they know their stuff? Like it just, yeah. no, they're just connected. And so we also need to give, you know, um, these, these women the ecosystem and the, and the permission to sometimes it's, it, it fails, but we give them a second opportunity like we do for everybody else.
0: It's interesting. When I have tried to think about the definition of the word privilege, the first thing that comes to mind is permission to fail. It's people who get second chances.
2: Absolutely.
1: So that's a really important point because in the workplace, you know, you need to feel safe enough and comfortable enough that you can, you know, share your ideas, right? That that you're not going to get pounced on, um, that you've got good ideas to share. And it's a Super interesting. We did a national study, What's Inside the Minds of Gen Z, and now more than ever, now compared to three years ago, one of their number one priorities when they are looking at taking a new job is do they value diversity? Um, Mm. Do they respect other people? Are they putting their money where their mouth is? And they're looking at this. You know, it's, I think the world really is going to change with the next generation. And so, you know, Greg, back to what you were saying, I think some people will be hurt because they're not moving with the times, right? At some point, it's going to catch up. You got to have good employees that people are going to age out. Um,
2: Faith, if I could just build on that quickly, I'm I'm sorry to interrupt. I, you know, I was talking to a group of interns um, the other day, and usually when I talk to interns and I ask them the question, like, what do you want from an employer? Like, it used to be people would always say, like, I want you know, good pay. Like it would use, at least when I was coming up, everybody would say, I want to be paid well or what. And now they talk about, you know, exactly the things, Jennifer, you just talked about. It's like, what's your, what's your, what's your social justice strategy?
0: Yeah. (laughs) It's very real. Yeah. There's, uh, hold on. Let me, I have, uh, so 70% of the girls with impact ventures are social impact oriented, Jen. Yeah. So, these girls and young women are learning a lot from from you and and the women whom you're mentoring too, Greg. What are you learning from them?
1: Well, number one is that their values are very different, that they have this huge sense of social justice and urgency to solve some very big issues like the planet. I mean, that's, that's a, a sort of across the board and equity and fairness. Um, the other, and this is something we were just talking about yesterday, is that how we teach them has to be different from how we have taught folks 20, 30, 40 years ago with long textbooks, um, you know, reams of text. This generation is using pictures, right? short amount of text. And so one of the things that we're thinking about is, boy, how do we help them learn the most effective way? Right? Very interesting. Um, so those are just a couple of the big things. And how do you? What do you do? What's the answer to that? How do we help them learn the most effective way? Well, we yeah. we track we track them on completion, and we can see in our system how engaged they are. So we look at that, but we're always looking to improve our look. At, we could all constantly improve our curriculum, and we have. By the way, um, we have a, a follow on program after they go through the academy and they come out with a business plan, they can go to a pa- into a pathway where they're paired with a mentor, like someone from U.S. Bank, uh, to work with them to either bring that venture to life or to land in their first job or land in college. So, um, you know, the, the other thing uh, is huge interest around money issues, much more than I thought. We saw that in surveys. Um, we saw a big uh, increase in worries about racism, Uh, over, you know, versus a few years ago. And overall, they want to drive personal change and or they want to be their own boss. Those are some of the very big headlines. And so we have to say as a society, okay, what does that mean? If I need to hire workers, how do I make them feel like they can be their own boss or innovate within, right? And how can I retain them, not just get them, but retain them with some of those things that we talked about earlier?
0: As a jaded old Gen Xer, I hear all this and I think, OK, but what, like some of the things these girls are up against that they probably haven't even thought about are like we have to fix parental leave. We have to fix childcare. like the realities of how many women dropped out of the workforce during this pandemic are I feel like are really working against us.
1: That's a great one, because we also did a big study on women post-pandemic, and they're all looking to have more flexible working arrangement. Everybody who comes to work at Girls With Impact essentially wants to work remotely full-time. That's a huge shift for everybody, right? It's no longer, I think, our company is going to have, um, they're probably going to move to a hoteling concept, which, which you see to some extent,
2: and I think, Faith, I, you know, I guess what I've learned, I think I think women are leading um, a, a lot of that change. Um, and, and maybe that's intuitive for all of you. But I think what I'm learning from, you know, the women that I talk to is how transformative they're thinking about this. I think these whole flexible work arrangements, what both of you are talking about, women are really leading that charge in a way that's so refreshing and brave and courageous. And I think, um, like we're not gonna go back. you know it you know you're right, faith. The, the challenges are daunting, but you know what I talk about with my mentees all the time, it's like just just lay a great brick today. Mm-hmm. Like just just sure. lay a brick today and like like lay one every day and ultimately we're gonna have a wall. Um, but this notion of servant leadership and you know leadership is never about you. It's always about something greater than yourself. And I, that's what I think women are really sort of doubling down on. It's like we can contribute in ways that are so unique and, like, we're not going to turn around. So, like, get on board with us because, you know.
0: <laughs> Greg, I was going to ask you, if you think with that statistic that 70% of the girls with impact ventures are socially oriented, um, le- social impact oriented, do, do you think this is a little gendered? Do you is it is this a fair question? Do you think that young women have a more let's say uh generous um view of the future with a bigger purpose than some young men?
2: You you've known me long enough to know I'm going to I'm gonna, I'm going to answer that question this way. You know, you know I was raised by by five women, um faith. So you you know you know my story.
0: I want to thank them all.
2: Um I'm I'm a you know there there is no question, I'll just I'll just say it the way I said it before. There is no question in my mind that women are leading that conversation in ways that's absolutely beautiful.
1: And then just imagine, Greg, if we armed them earlier on with skills, confidence and the aha yes. that I can really do this. You know, the impact on our economy, workplace policies, job creation, social justice equity, I mean It'd be night and
0: day. Why is this so obvious to to all of us right here? And like, it, how does the message get into the v, the VC firms? Like, how is how is two percent an actual fact?
1: It is so criminal to me. I just cannot tell you.
0: And it's I, I didn't mean that to be rhetorical. No, is I there know. an answer? It's well, it's,
1: it's the same. I think it's exactly what I said before. It's people and people, when they make investment decisions, they invest in people they know. And it's their and network. Yet,
0: and yet so much VC fails, right? Like it's, it's, a, it's a throw money at the wall Correct. situation. So throw, throw money some at the- money at the girls and not the wall. Totally. Yep.
2: But yep. here's what I think it's going to take, Fate. Like I think it's going to take like one just home run scenario. Right. That we can all celebrate. And somebody in the industry like a U.S. bank or somebody has, you know, we will will continue to have the courage um, to do something, to change it. And and sometimes we're going to miss. But if we can bring light to, you know, and have an example that we can stand up, it's kind of like Hollywood. Right. Like I hate to use it. But, you know, once there's a hit, like people will want to replicate that. And we need to just continue to bring attention to those businesses that are incredible, that are women led, women owned, that are incredibly successful and use our resources to um, to continue to bring attention and what the best practices that were in place and just beat the heck out of it, Um, because then others will want to replicate that success. Um, So that at least I don't know if that's but I think that's you know, that's the intentionality that I think we'll all have to have. And that's the intentionality that we have at the bank.
1: Well, it's interesting because I am working with one of your leaders to connect with VC firms because I want them. They're very much on my radar. You know, there's a lot of other things going on, but they're really the purse strings, you know, to making this happen. And I do think the winds are changing where they also need to be demonstrating equity when you see these social justice crises happen, you know the men are also saying, "Wait, what are we doing?" So, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, but th- but there is a sense of urgency. We need them to ta- to to move on it now.
0: I think it's safe to say, Jen Openshaw, when when something or someone is on your radar, <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna get there. There there is going to be some impact.
1: I hope so.
0: Jen Openshaw, thank you for what you're doing. My my daughter will be 14 in six years and
1: I'm already ready to sign her up. Hey, there's nothing like the impact these young women can make. So thanks for having me, Faith.
0: And Greg, thank you for introducing me to another spectacular human being.
2: Absolutely. Jen, thanks for being with us. And Faith, it's a joyride as always. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of Real Good. If you like what you heard, subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. We'll see you soon.